You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Well, I like being happy. Does that surprise you? I don't know. I like me. Do you, you you like to be happy? Here here are a few. I thought I'd jot down a few things that make me happy, so that you know they they don't convert into gift cards. So it's not my Christmas list. They just this this is what makes me happy, or at least some of the things. One downtime with Gina makes me happy. When when I get frazzled, we get too much going on. Downtime with Gina makes me happy. Game time with Brady and Annie make me happy. This is this is funny. Your 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 kids get old; they get to be adults, and they actually become more fun. It's a really it's a it's a striking change. Just just hang on, mom, dad, hang on. They'll grow up and they'll turn out to be a lot of fun. Um, the third thing that makes me happy is playing golf. Playing golf makes me happy when I play well. When I but someone pointed that out to me that that was a very important caveat that it makes you happy when you play well. Um, I, um, a UGA win makes me happy. And, and I've been happy 45 out of the last 47 fall weekends. So for those hating on Georgia drop into number six, uh, I, and Maui makes me happy. And if you've been there, it makes you happy too. Let's all just go to Maui together. Shall we? I mean, what, what a way to make us all happy. Um, and then uh, hot chicken makes me happy. I, I like, I like hot. Ch- Yesterday we we had not we've been eating on the run seemingly for three or four days, and we was like, let's have a good meal. Where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to Hattie B's. So that was that made me happy. Um, it's not an exclusive list, but but it's an important list. Um, when you hear people talk about happy, it ends up actually seemingly being one of their top goals. Right? It, it's their life goal. I want to be happy. How do you know that? Well, you can hear how they talk. Well, you get a fake situation. They'll say, well, whatever makes you happy. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, I want to do this. Well, whatever makes you happy. Our, our life seems to be driven by whatever will make us happy. We will make decisions on what will make us happy. Uh, if, if you don't believe that's your life goal, I just challenge you to look at where you spend your time, how you spend your money. Um, Really, is is it is it driven by, well, I want to be happy. Now, I'll take happy over the alternative for sure, right? I don't want to be unhappy. But but if happy is the goal, happy is very elusive, right? It's very elusive. So I think there's a bigger goal that we can live our life for than just happy. Happy is circumstance dependent, which inevitably makes happiness short-lived and uncomfortably uncontrollable. Now, some of these things you know, but I'm putting into words. Happiness is short-lived and uncomfortably uncontrollable. And so since happiness is fleeting, happiness, that happiness then has to be pursued. It has to be chased. And that's why it absorbs much of our time, energy, and resources is because we have to chase it. So a more fulfilling life goal, or I would might even say a fulfilling life goal, because I don't think happy is a fulfilling life goal. I think it is an exhausting life goal, uh, would be joy. And you notice that we lit the joy candle this, uh, this Advent, uh, Sunday. It's a different color. 
it represents a shift in the celebration of Advent. We lit hope and peace leading into today. The first two weeks of Advent are more contemplative, more penitent. It's more an inward look. Um, and then in the middle of the celebration, the ancient then church fathers in the fourth century um, establishes this shift, this now we start looking for joy. Um, and now it's more forward looking. Now Advent becomes more, um, anticipating. We're, we're anticipatory of the coming of Christ, not just looking at kind of where we are and what we need. Joy differs from happy be- of, because of who resources it. Right? Happy is resort, resourced outwardly. Joy is, is resourced inwardly. Happy is skin deep. Joy is deep-seated. Happiness is fleeting. Joy frees us. It's a freeing. It's the joy of Jesus that carries you through the hardness and the complexities of life and a joy that's that's fueled by the promises of God and the ultimate promise of God, which is heaven. Joy is connected to heaven. C.S. Lewis has a great quote that says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Here's the context of that quote found in his letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer. He says, I do not think that the life of heaven bears any analogy to play or dance in respect to frivolity. I do think that while we are in this valley of tears, cursed with labor, hemmed round with necessities, tripped up with their frustrations, doomed to perpetual plannings, puzzlings, and anxieties, certain qualities that must belong to the celestial condition have no chance to get through, can project no image of themselves except in activities which, for us here and now, are frivolous. It's only in our hours off, only in our moments of permitted festivity, that we find an analogy to the joys of heaven. Dance and game are frivolous, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. Here they are a moment's rest from the rest of, from the life we're placed here to live. But in this world, everything is upside down. That which, if it could be prolonged here, would be a truancy. It's like that which in, it is, is like that which in a better country is the end of ends. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Mary Beth's story gives us a little painting of that, of Tatum enjoying the beach. And, and, in more manageable English than C.S. Lewis, he's saying that the times that we have breaks here where we enjoy, we, we're experiencing fun, frivolity, the word he uses, dance. He said those things, they, they in-break our time here. Our time here is filled with complexities of life. And then the other things, they, they break in and we need them to break in. He's saying, but that is just, that is the upside down version of heaven that heaven is the reverse of that, or not even the reverse of that. It is It is the joy in which that breaks in. The thing that is fleeting here, this is the serious business of heaven. This is what we will experience with Christ. There will be a joy. It won't be in-breaking. It won't be fleeting. It will be our existence. Joy is the serious business of heaven. So how about if we begin making it a, the, the, a more serious business in our own life. Joy is a serious business. Advent is a celebration of that invading presence of joy. And I want us to look for joy today. Um, 
Is living a life anchored um, by joy a too-good-to-be-true goal? Well, um, isn't the most realistic sentiment, life is hard and then you die? Uh, You've heard that before, right? Life is hard and then you die. Um, It's not untrue, right? Life is hard, we will all die. But that is not how I want to live. I don't want to live as if that 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 is kind of going to be the end. I think you, we can live we can live in joy. Now, here's the here's the hard part about joy. Joy um joy sometimes has to surprise us. I mean, there was 700 years of distance between the messianic prophecies of Isaiah and the birth of Christ. There are 400 years of silence between when Malachi utters the last word of prophecy and then we have the angelic visit to Zechariah as he's fulfilling his priestly duties in the temple. I mean, joy joy is something that can be promised, but it seems to catch us by surprise. So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about joy as a surprise. I want to talk about joy as a reality. And I want to talk about joy as a purpose. Joy is a surprise, joy is a reality, and joy as a purpose. The birth narratives for me of Jesus identify these three things. So the first two angelic joy announcements come as a surprise. Here's the first one we find in Luke 1, 5 through 15. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth had not been able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he was, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This would have been a one-time occurrence for Zechariah. This would have been the only time Zechariah's priestly division was chosen for this opportunity, and it would have been the only time in Zechariah's life where he would have been chosen then to have to light the incense on that altar. I mean, this was a special time, and yet he comes into this special time having to be heavy, Waited. It should have been probably the most joyous time of his professional career. And yet he is surprised. He is surprised when the angel comes to give him this news about having a son. Why is he surprised? Because he is old. This thing had passed. This, this prayer of his, I, I don't know if he's praying it anymore. His wife have, has not been able to conceive a child. They're, they're in their, they're in their 80s and 90s at this point. It's a done deal. And yet here comes the surprise. You will bear a son, not just any son, 
The son's going to be given a very specific name, John. He's going to be given a very specific um, place in history. And so now here comes this, this joy and somewhat still um, reluctancy that we find on the part of Zechariah, because the rest of the story goes, Zechariah doubts it at such a level that the angel says, you know, you know what, this is still going to happen, but you aren't going to be able to talk the entire pregnancy. So here's an interesting thing about joy. When we, when we least expect it, it breaks in. I would like to raise all of our awareness, all of our anticipation to hear the word of the Lord so that there is more anticipation for joy and less surprise as joy. Um, he's in the temple. That would be a place that you would expect to want to expect to hear from God. And yet he's hearing from God in the temple and it's a surprise to him. Can, can we raise our anticipation to what we ask of God and seek of God, because if we don't ask and you don't seek, then I'm not sure if we can hear and we're going to be able to uh, see how he works. How, he He's going to work in conjunction with our prayers. I, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's the way he chose to do that. But our prayers move God's hand. And in this case, you got to love the angel's words. He has heard your prayer. What a surprise. That must have been because however long he had prayed it, the implication is he's never known have the, has that prayer been heard, right? We, we, we connect hearing with action. Um, he might've had plenty of faith that it was heard, but without any action connected to the hearing still leaves in the same place of surprise. Let's not be surprised when God speaks words of hope. It's what's very interesting in here is that you can't produce joy. You can only receive joy, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth had done all they knew to do to produce joy and it had not happened, but they were able to receive joy. Now it's, it's kind of in the same format that we get to the next angelic announcement. We find this in Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, this is six months later, a young teenage girl gets a surprise as well. Luke 1, 28 through 38, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. So you can read, she was confused and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. It's interesting to me when you read these accounts that go back to back is you have Zechariah with the inability to conceive, no children there, at the end of their life. At the end of their life. And then we... Just read a few verses later, and here's a couple at the very beginning of their life. 
at the very beginning of their life. Not married. And that's why this was such a surprise. She asks questions of the angel, but she must have asked the questions differently than Zechariah because she receives a different answer, right? Um, I think it's the difference between a man and a woman. Uh, I think men, we generally just want to know, is it going to happen or not? And women have a tendency want to know more details. That was, that was just polite laughter. That, there isn't a woman that I know that doesn't want more details. I saw this. Well, I'll stop. But she doesn't ask it in a manner that seems to be a doubtful answer because of the response she gets. The response is the same words we get in Genesis 1. When the earth was uh, formless, it was empty, and the darkness was over the face of the of, of the of the of the deep, and it said, "Then the the spirit of God hovered over the waters, and He said, Let there be light,' and there was light. He fills. He fills. What would fill empty space more full than light? And so He fills the empty with light by the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And we get the same language here that the Holy Spirit will hover, will hover over you. And then some translations read." When she's the, the angel's answer of how this will be after the hover, there's two part answer. Hover, and here comes the assurance. Some translations say, um, not because nothing is impossible with God. That's a great thing, right? Put it up, write it down, put it on your wall. Nothing's impossible with God. And yet a more accurate translation says how the NIV reads it. Why, why is this going to happen? Because no word of God will ever fail. Now that's pretty significant, isn't it? Right? So there's some, there's some detail there. You know, for, for the men, just tell me it's possible. All right. We're good. For the, for the process thinkers, it's, well, because if God said it, it's going to happen. And see, joy comes as a promise before it ever comes as a reality. Joy is going to come as a promise. Those promises many times are surprising because we find ourselves in the context when we're in way over our head and we don't see any manageable way around it. Right? And that's why we're that's why we're despondent. That would be why we're sad. Um, we are allowing the moments around us to dictate our outlook and our moods. Okay? But in our outlook and our moods that end up um, dictating our actions, dictating our speech. And so, so when God breaks in with a word, and that word is a word that brings joy, you can try to process that, or you can receive the word. You can receive the word. Zechariah ends up receiving the word, even with his doubts and his silence. Mary receives the word. I love her response. Be to me as you have said. The words that you've spoken to me, I agree. I agree. I align myself up with the words that you're spoken. Don't be surprised by joy. Don't be surprised by joy. There is more to this life than life is hard and then you die. There's more to life than trying to chase happy. There is, there is, there is a deep seated joy that comes in believing the word of God as we have it and believing and expecting and wanting and asking for God's word for you in the moment. 
this is a, this is a, not just a normal course of growing up as a son or daughter of God. This is what the word opens up to us, that we are his children, that he knows what we have need of and yet compels us to come and to ask him. So much of the scripture talks about how we can we can come to God in, in boldness because of what Christ has done for us. He has gone, he has gone ahead of us. We're not breaking in um, somehow um, disturbing God by our asks and our requests and our and our tears and our petitions. No, this is the very thing, the very thing that he wants and asks for us to be in relationship with him. And so that when he speaks a word to you, receive it as joy. Joy comes as a surprise because many times we find ourselves just not ready for it, but we can't produce joy. We have to receive joy. Um, and then Luke ends, um, Luke ends with two songs, one from Zechariah and one from Mary. Um, there's something about receiving joy where it makes it where we can't contain it. Um, part of Mary's song goes this way of Luke 1, 46 through 50. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. Rejoicing is the action of joy. I rejoice in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Um, it's a surprise. But joy is also a reality. This is why we have the birth narratives. The birth narratives then become the fruition of the the words that we read in uh, the Psalms, the words that we read in Isaiah, all pronouncing a Messiah. Here is Luke 2, 1 through 7. Sophia read part of this today. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Um, don't allow the familiarity with the story to somehow disarm how much of a, a, a problem this was for Mary and Joseph for the last nine months. I mean, this was a significant problem to have an engaged teenage girl pregnant. So much so, it takes an angel speaking to Joseph for him to stay put. Okay, so this is how significant this is. Now, they're getting close to birth. Um, I believe the phrase that I hear some use is great with child. And I think this is what happens, right? When the joy of the pregnancy wears off and the will they just come out kind of, kind of comes in, right? And so this wasn't a baby moon. This wasn't, let's get away really quick before the child is born. This was an inbreak of the government. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is Ronald Reagan's old saying that said, um, beware when someone says, I'm here, I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? That's a Ronald Reagan statement. And so this is what they get. You're going to have to travel. The, the, um, the distance was only about 90 miles, but from, uh, start to finish, Google would have said four to seven days. All right? So this was an inconvenient 
This was more than an inconvenience to them. This would have been very difficult on them. Um, and yet, this little town of Bethlehem that was um, prophesied over 700 years earlier that that would be the birthplace of the Messiah, God uses even outside uncontrollable government forces to bring about a prophecy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. This is a significant thing to understand that nobody can mess with the joy that God wants to bring you in Christ. Everybody ends up becoming a participant in that happening. There, there isn't somehow that that can be averted by some outside force. This is something internally and eternally driven by God for us to live in the joy of Christ. It also speaks to the fact that that life is hard. Circumstances are difficult, but it doesn't mean that we don't, we, that doesn't mean that we have to live outside of joy in that process. Why? Because we trust in the word of God and Christ to be true and that it is a reality. The birth of the baby proves the reality of who Jesus is. Emmanuel is my favorite word. For God, Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's the only faith system where God comes to us instead of setting up these this ladder of things that we have to do to get to God. Christianity is the only faith system where he becomes flesh and lives among us. The message version says that he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is how close he is. This is the promise of God. There is a proximity to the promise of God, flesh and blood, the necessity of being a perfect sacrifice so that he would be able to usher in the kingdom and usher us into the kingdom as well. There is a, there is a tension. There's a tension in the process of joy. The promise of joy doesn't alleviate the journey. It fuels the journey. You have to walk out the promise to experience the promise. We can walk in the joy of Christ now because of the assurance of Jesus Christ later. We have a tendency to allow the process to actually rob us of joy. Instead of understanding that the process actually brings about the joy. All right. So here's a, here's a, a couple passage or a scripture that I want to, I woke up this morning to because I'm thinking, Lord, I, I, I'm not making that as concrete as I want to. And, and he, he, he really, he brought me to several scriptures. Um, and because I had to just scribble them, I lose them. Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose our joy. Though we were outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving. That's a process word right? Achieving is a process word. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's a process to joy. And, and in this case, what, what Paul is doing is he's challenging us to look where, to look at, kind of in the rearview mirror, to look back and say, have you ever said something to this effect? Well, that was worth it. Right? So what does that statement mean? Well, that was worth it. It means probably there was some point along the way you did not think it was worth it. Right? It was like, I could quit now. I wish this was over now. This is more painful than I thought it was going to be. 
right? But when you get on the other side of it, you say, well, now that it's done, I can look back and say, well, that was worth it. This, this is what Paul is trying to communicate. Paul is saying, listen, the light and momentary, so he's even measuring them. He's even measuring them because they're not light and momentary when we go through them, right? He's not, he's not dismissing. He's not diminishing. He's not um, uh, pushing those to the side and saying, well, you're just being a wimp. It's on the other side of this. He's saying now in comparison to what we have in Christ, these are light and momentary, okay? Light, so that means there's a, there's a weight, there's a weight limit and momentary, then there's a time limit. So can I say to you today, wherever you find yourself in process, there is a weight limit and a time limit to that, where you will be able to be on the other side of that and look back and say, well, those were light and momentary. And what have they, what have they done? They were actually a process to bring you somewhere. They are achieving for you. How does he say it? Achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then Told you, wrote them everywhere. Here's James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. Another way to say this is consider it pure could be translated whole. Consider the wholeness of joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider the wholeness of joy whenever you face many trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's another process word. Produces. What produces it? Trials of many kinds. Produces it. And then he, he, he implores us, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Telling us that, will you please let the process play out? Please. Please let endurance, perseverance do the work it's designed to do. What's that work? I am completing you and I am maturing you in Christ so that you don't lack anything that you need. Joy comes in the middle of a process. It is a reality. Christ is a reality, but we have to walk through a process. And each process produces what God has intended it to produce. But if you only wait to live in joy, when you receive the outcome, you miss out on a lot of joy, right? Then we walk through hardship hard. You either walk through it hard, where you have to put up all these defenses to try to keep your life together, or you walk through it just completely beat down. And God's saying in both these verses and in the process of dropping into Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah um, and Joseph, let the process work. It will produce everything he intends for it to produce. Walk through it with joy, right? So when I think about peace and joy, um, I, I, I generally I like to describe peace as a settledness a settledness. Um, and I think joy, joy might be more of a completeness. I, f- it's, I feel more complete. And that might not translate, but that's what I started thinking about. The joy of the Lord being a completeness in me. So the stuff that I see that's not written yet, I can still rest in what's being written. And there can be a joy 
there can be a joy in that process. Here are two um, more statements around joy to hang on to. One, no circumstance can deter, delay, or diminish the reality of God's joy given in the person of Christ. All right? Even the Roman government played into that impact. Two, God's best work of joy is done in the middle of hardship and out in the open for the world to see. All right, joy is a surprise. It's a reality that a process actually brings about. It doesn't diminish it, doesn't change it. Here's the idea of joy gives us purpose. Joy ushers in purpose. Read this in Luke 2 as well. Um, Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left, angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And here's the purpose that's popping up in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. So there's even a response to the telling. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, this is just conjecture on my part, but go with me for a moment. I don't know if Mary and Joseph has have any conversation over the nine-month preg- nine month pregnancy about who the baby was she was carrying. I mean, you think about it. I, there, there is so much, there's so many rumors swirling about them as a couple that really that's the way you're going to get out of these swirling rumors. Well, it's okay that I'm pregnant because it wasn't Joseph. It was God. And it's going to, he's going to be the Messiah, right? Sounds like the biggest made up story ever, right? to get out of that circumstance. So I don't think having a conversation with anybody about this is something that Mary and Joseph shouldered on their own with no ability to defend themselves. All right. So the angels show up. I mean, the, the, the shepherds show up. Unexpected guests show up at the birth of Jesus. And I think they get there and they're like, they're jacked, right? They have heard a chorus of angels. They know exactly who they're tracking down. And when they get there, and there is no fanfare. I'm wondering if they're going, do you guys know who this baby is? Do you have any idea, Mary and Joseph, who that baby is? And then you could almost, you could almost sense this relief of Mary and Joseph like, yes, we do. We do know who he is. And I can imagine the conversations that must have taken place. I mean, I don't think about said, See ya. You know, I mean, they just saw the Messiah, right? That now Mary and Joseph are able to talk about it. I mean, there's conversations that are having to take place in this cave 
over who Jesus is. And Mary's telling about her story of an angel and they're saying they saw more than they did. You know I mean? You know, they're one-upping one another on how many angels spoke to who, you know. But then it says that the shepherds returned. They returned. And they exclaimed and told everyone about the person they just met. Joy comes with a purpose. The, the reason why sometimes we, we can't land on joy and we land on happiness, um, I think is joy transforms us and it transforms us for someone else. I can tell you something. I can tell you that I shot a 78 and I can be very happy about shooting a 78, but your happiness will be very small for me, right? It's like, I got my first home one, I was playing by myself. And I thought taking a picture of the ball in the cup was going to be enough to elicit excitement from everyone. It was not, right? My, my, what makes us happy might not, might not make you happy. And the shepherds, though, experience something joy-filled. We live in a world where people don't carry any joy right? Because they, they don't understand, without Christ, you don't understand the nuance between happy and joy, okay? And so we can, we can be happy with other people, but that being happy for them doesn't increase or extend, doesn't change the fleeting nature of that happiness. It won't ever change it. But when we carry joy in Christ and we share the joy of Christ. Well, now here is a marked difference that's happening. People are in the same boat and every believer is in the same boat of someone who's not a believer. We walk through the complexities of life, the same hardships of life. While, right, the, while the holidays can be very joyful for some and not for others. And next year, they're really joyful for them and not others. This is the season and this is the complexities that we live in. And yet we should be carrying the joy of Christ. Joy is our purpose. Just like it's the serious business of heaven, joy becomes our purpose. That we're placed in a world that has no concept of joy. And a follower of Christ does. Do our lives reflect a goal of happiness or do our lives reflect the reality of joy? Is it possible that you and I can also be a surprise of joy for someone? The people we work with, the people that we live next to, the, 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 the families that we sit in the bleachers next to any, any given season, that we are joy carriers. And it's that joy that gives us purpose. There isn't anything else in your life that gives you the purpose of the, other than the joy of Christ. There isn't. Not one. And I love the fact it says they, they all went to rabbi school after that. And then they started their own synagogues. Did you get that in the story? Right? They said they, they went back to where they were doing what they were doing. And listen, shepherds in this, in this um, century, they were, it was not a respected profession. They were considered un, uh, um, not trustworthy. Um, you couldn't trust what they said. You couldn't trust what they would do. Um, they were on the lower end of every social rung there was. And isn't it interesting that that's the first witnesses to the birth of Jesus? 
Jesus always wants to elevate. Um, even after the resurrection, a woman is the first person. Women, who also weren't considered to be trustworthy in a sense. And it's it's amazing how God wants to transform whatever um, whatever image you have of yourself, he wants to transform it. If you have a dim and a low opinion of, of who you are and what you're capable of, he wants to elevate that. Not, not for our own sake, but so that we would understand what it means to receive the joy of God and the position he puts us in so that we can carry that joy where we are. Joy carriers. Come on up, team. Um, in Isaiah, one of the prophetic words spoken about Christ is Isaiah 61. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his display, for the display of his splendor. This is who we worship. This is what he came to do. It wasn't just a promise. It was a promise in Isaiah. It was a reality in Luke chapter 2. Did you get that? There was a promise in Isaiah. But in Luke chapter 2, it was reality. And in Luke chapter 2, it becomes a purpose. We can put our faith in the word of God because of what the angel told Mary. No word of God will ever fail. And when you place yourself in a position that you feel like is impossible, those are the positions in which God excels out in the open. Um, in the business classic book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, he coined what is called the Stockdale Paradox. Um, Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking U.S. military office, officer in the Hanoi Hilton POW camp in Vietnam. He was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973. Collins had the opportunity to interview Admiral Stockdale, and he asked him, how did you make it? Stockdale replied, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in ret retrospect, I would not trade. I would do it again. Collins also asked this question, who didn't make it out? Answer, oh, that's easy. The optimists. He further explained that the optimists were the ones who said we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and go. Then they'd say we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. Then he turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You, ne you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. 
The Advent message of joy isn't somehow to hide where you are and what you're navigating. The promise of joy that Advent brings is that there will be another day. That he has come, he's here, and he's coming again. And when, when, when Jesus goes to speak to his disciples at the end of John chapter 15 and 16 and 17, he knows, he knows what their emotional state's going to be when they see him in a day or so hang on a cross. He has complete understanding of the devastation and the loss and the emptiness that they're going to feel in that moment. And so he speaks to them ahead of time to say, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going away for a little while, but I'll come back. But it's important for you that I go because it, if I don't go, I can't send the comforter. But since I'm going, I will send someone to be with you. And hey, I am going to prepare a place for you. He gives them those promises. And he's saying, I know what you're going to see and experience. You're not going to want to see and experience. He goes so far to tell them at the end of chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. This is the context of that passage. But take heart because I've overcome the world. You can take joy today because of what Advent represents, who it represents, what it points to. No doubt, no doubt there are hard things maybe in this time of your life that you're having to navigate but you can count on the promise of joy. It's a reality. And that joy actually will give your life more purpose and meaning than anything else you can write down on top of a goal sheet. 100% all the time. So in our response today, communion is going to be available on my left and right. Um, I don't want to make that seem casual when I say that. It is the sacrament of receiving the blood and body of Christ. Um, you can come to this side of the altar if you just want to spend some time with God at an altar by yourself. You can come to this side of the altar and someone will pray with you today. This, this Sabbath was designed for you. It was designed for you to hear a message of joy in the middle of your process. Respond to that message today in some form or fashion. Stand with me for prayer. Lord, I know the tenor of this message today was purposeful. It was intended, Lord, it was intended to be a message on joy for someone to be a surprise today. That joy would have been the last thing on their lips when they got in their car this morning. And yet, here comes the surprise. You reside with us today, bringing joy. A distinct confidence that you are in here with us. That the uniqueness about you is your nearness to us. 
And I pray in this moment, Lord, that as your, uh, as people reach out to you, whether they're your kids yet or your kids to come, Lord, that you will hear their prayer and they will hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I invite you to move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.